this is this is a core group of people. I'm very, very excited. These are people that are changing the industry in their own right. Our panelists, uh, I'm so thrilled that you are here with us today. And our moderator, Kelly Shea. Love, love, love what you are doing and so happy you are here. We are going to take the next few minutes to continue to let people into the room. It's very good to see you. And Monique, if we could put up the graphic, please. We are live on Facebook and please do share this um, this stream. You can share it from Facebook to your networks if you like and tell others that you are on this. And uh, we hope for sure to have one of the most engaging conversations of the year. Um, I can't think of a more timely topic, diversity, fostering talent. What do we need to say? You have a lot to hear from this group today. We're going to be talking about race, gender, identity, how we create a more equitable and inclusive workplace. I can see already from our attendees, these are people who are making decisions. These are people who are hiring. These are people who are recruiting and also getting hired. So as we continue on this morning, you are going to hear more. You're going to be able to take what you learn and take that into your day jobs. But first, we have to hear the stories from our panelists. So Pamela Carr is here, Global Corporate and Financial Communications at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Lindsay Stiber. Lindsay, did I say your name properly? Please tell me I did. It was it was close. It's actually Stoyber. pronounced Stoiber. Stoiber. I'm dang it. So something I pride myself on, and thank you for correcting me. Lindsay Stoiber is here with us. She's the head of talentchange.org. And also we have with us Kelly Shea, corporate communications at HP Inc. So you can kind of see where these companies are already are, where they're where they're making really interesting and different decisions that will lead industry. Hopefully, what you hear today will help you make your own decisions. We have recruiters on today, in case you were wondering. We have agency people on today. We have corporate people on today. Uh, and I think that's a pretty good group. What do you say, Mar? Yes? <laughs> All right. All right. Um, just so everybody's clear, we're streaming into Facebook as of right now. So we'll be taking questions from there. Toronto, Foster City. You can see we have multiple uh, multiple cities with us. And this is normal for PRSA, PRSA Silicon Valley. Um, this content reaches so many people. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, please do. Um, you're actually looking at a section of it right now. Every week we're coming out with news and information for our industry, and we know it is designed to help you. We are sponsoring the future. We are changing the industry. Can you tell that I'm excited about that? My name is, P is PRSA Silicon Valley. No, it isn't. <laughs> Vanessa Yanez. I'm the president of PRSA Silicon Valley, and I'm uh, here to hand it over to Kelly one of the most one of the most prolific people on our team. I have to say I have the pleasure of working with Kelly every day at HP. And since she joined, and Pam, I think that's why you guys connected. Since she joined, change has happened. Like the minute you start to make decisions on behalf of your brand, change happens. I can't wait to hear more from you. And I can't wait to hear more from this panel. Kelly. I know that I want to hear a little bit about how you got to HP. Could you tell us a little bit before we get started? Sure. And thank you so much for the introduction and the warm welcome, uh, Vanessa. It's definitely a pleasure to be here and moderating this session um, and having our special guests, Pam and Lindsay, here to share their insights and wisdom. Um, but how I got to HP was I spent 
you know, most of my career so far in the agency setting, I was just working on tech PR for a long time and I love the innovation that's going on, but I was also ready for something more purpose-driven. Um, so a few years ago, I actually took a few months off to figure out what my purpose is. How can I build a long-term career in something I really love and can see myself doing for 20, 30, 40 years? And that to me was, you know, in the realm of um, diversity, equity, inclusion, communications in uh, ESG communications and ESG at HP is what we call sustainable impact. Um, that's trying to make a positive impact across um, climate change, human rights, as well as digital equity. And I've been able to do that here um, for the 15 months I've been here. And it's been incredible. Um, the colleagues like yourself and Karen Cage and Monique are been super inclusive uh, and just make it a really great place to work. So and giving me opportunities like today to moderate this really important session that's really meaningful to me. Um, and that's that's how I got here. And Vanessa, I'm happy to kind of kick it off if that works for you. Please do. It's time. Awesome. Great. Well, um, again, I, I also want to acknowledge that this month is Global Diversity Awareness Month. It's also continues to be Hispanic and Latino Heritage Month. So happy Diversity Month, everyone. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it ends here today. We're going to continue having these conversations every day. And that's how we'll get better and become a more equitable, just uh, society. I'm excited to be your moderator and I'm more excited to bring powerful, diverse voices to our conversation. Um, before we begin, I just wanna set some context. Um, the panel is really about letting diverse talent and leaders share their experiences and their stories because the more we learn about how our race, our identity, our gender affects the way we work, I think that's how we can create a better and more inclusive workplace. Um, so I want to thank you everyone for attending and wanting to learn about, you know, their stories. Um, and I also want to acknowledge um, that bias, racism, and discrimination are real and they can happen anywhere. And if we don't acknowledge it, I don't think we will get better and stronger as a society. And more importantly, wow. it's not about one group versus another. I think we all have a collective and share common value here to really advance DEI. And it's really here to listen to each other. Um, share experiences and hopefully take away actions um, that can strengthen our company culture and reinvent our industry. So with that, I love to welcome our special guests, Pam um, from Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Lindsay from change.org. Both are amazing organizations here today. Before I keep talking, I, I kind of want to hand it to them um, and have them kind of introduce themselves, talk about their roles as well as their backgrounds. Um, how about I, we'll kick it off with, with Lindsay. Sure thing. Hi, friends. Happy Friday to everybody. Um, again, my name is Lindsay Stoiber. My pronouns are she and her. I live in San Francisco, California, and I'm the head of global talent acquisition at change.org. For those of you who may not be familiar with change, we are the world's largest um, tech platform for social change. We have a audience of around half a billion users, and our platform is used in 196 different countries. So we're a global organization with global impact in the social change space, and we're also a global company. So we have offices in 20 countries, um, almost every continent. Um, so I'm tasked with ensuring an efficient, um, equitable, and um, high-performing talent culture at a global organization. Um, I'll give you a little bit of personal background. So 
when it comes to DEI, I definitely um, am very passionate about all things DEI as they intersect with performance and culture, um, company outcomes, et cetera. Um, I am biracial. My mom is black and my dad is white. I refer to myself as a white woman of color because for those of you who can see me, I don't necessarily represent as a black woman when um, first meeting me. So I've had the unique opportunity to um, sit in rooms in corporate spaces where there are no visible people of color. And I'll also add that I'm queer. I've been out for 20 years and I'm somebody who's sort of walked the line of being externally passing in multiple regards to somebody who, um, you know, I've, I've been in the room and I've, I've seen and heard how people talk about systems when they don't believe a person of color is in the room. So that has led me to have a chip on my shoulder. Um, and that chip really shows up in um, being very systems focused, right? And in orienting systems around folks who may be in the margins, who are outside of the majority group. So super excited to talk through uh, my thinking and how that relates to talent acquisition and performance and DEI outcomes. And um, I appreciate the space to be here today. Oh, we're so excited to hear your story shortly, Lindsay. Um, but Pam, maybe you could share a little bit about your background and your role. Okay, so I'm Pamela Carr. I'm about 10 weeks into Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, I've been here about 10 weeks. It's always so fun those first uh, few months, but uh, I'm so happy to be here and happy to be on this panel. Uh, I am the global corporate and financial communications um, on, on the global corporate and financial communications team. But under that umbrella, DEI is one of the many hats I wear. Um, and I, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, I'm happy to be at HPE at this time. Uh, six would we separated, I think, from HP six years ago. Um, and to me, that puts us in a very unique position to sort of, um, you know, rebrand ourselves and and um, you know, as diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, becomes more uh, forefront and in the spotlight we can take a new approach to it. And um, I'm very happy to be here. What feels like the beginning stages of taking a new, a, a change, making a change and, and going in a, a different direction that maybe tech companies haven't been uh, heading in the past. So um, yeah, it's a great time to be here at HPE. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be on the panel and yeah, looking forward to this great conversation. Oh, thank you, Pam, and well said to both of you. And I think definitely 2020's racial reckoning definitely allow us to have more open dialogues about race, identity, and gender. And I think it's time for us to sustain this momentum and really continue the movement. Um, so Pam, on our prep call, you mentioned some really powerful anecdotes on your experience as a you know Black woman in corporate America, right? And you said that things are changing for 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 the greater good, which is good. But maybe you can also talk about your experience even working in industries that have long, you know, lack diversity, like oil and gas and banking. Um, can you share some of those anecdotes with our audience today? Yeah, well, um, I, I remember speaking with you about how, you know, growing up, I was always told I had to be, you know, you have to be better. You have to be two steps mm -hmm. ahead. You have to be yep. better. You know, I took it with a grain of salt. I think I kind of was like, okay, I'll be better. 
And it's, it's all good until you actually get into the industries and realize that, uh, I think as Lindsay said, uh, you, you might be the only person of color in, in a room um, working in oil and gas uh, and healthcare, as well as banking. In a previous life, I was in banking. I worked for agencies that represented oil and gas and healthcare industries, and I did work in healthcare as well. And just to be amongst people uh, where you are the only person of color in the room, and it it auto, you don't think it will all the time, but sometimes there can be automatic intimidation just sitting yes. in the boardroom. That yep. feeling of um, presenting ideas and maybe people with different who have taken different routes in their professional lives um, yeah. with more education, even with you know MDs or PhDs, not necessarily thinking that what you bring as a communicator has equal value and having to take uh, those additional steps to make sure that they understand you may be the expert in your healthcare, you, you may have an MD, but I am the expert here as far as what we promote and how mm-hmm. we promote it. Uh, and I'm and, and having just those walls placed in front of you where the respect is not always there, always having to earn that respect uh, and going back to your parents' words of you have to be twice as good. And I'm like, oh, that's what they mean. They weren't just saying that just to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that those are some of the challenges I faced. And the good thing is I, you, you with hard work, you can overcome those challenges. It just gets disheartening. Absolutely. It gets disheartening having to always do that, though, take that extra step. So um that's been my experience. Uh, as you know, oil and gas and and um, banking, they can sort of be good old boy networks. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, you know, I've had great mentors. Mentorship mm-hmm. is very important. Um, it's good to have representation. But if you are the only one representing, you know, it's always good to have an out, outdoor out, you know, mentor that can assist you along the way. So uh, those are some of my experiences, uh, you know, here in the Houston market with oil and gas and banking. Yeah, that's good to know. And I I can relate so much of being the only, you know, woman of color in the room and feeling like my input isn't good enough, even though no one is openly being dismissive, but there's just some baggage, I feel like from my culture or just being the first generation or first grad or my parents are you know, didn't go to college and I'm the first one in the corporate workplace. I think for some reason, psychologically, there isn't a safety net for us. And I think um, small actions that have really helped me is when someone is like, does Kelly have anything else to say if I've been quiet? I I think that's really helpful in in my experience. Um, But I kind of want to go to Lindsay. I think Pam talks about how, you know, women of color, we sometimes feel we have to be twice as good. We have to try to make sure we join meetings on time. And, you know, sometimes you you kind of feel sometimes others have a pass. And I, I, you're a leader, you know, you manage this great organization. Um, what's your reaction to that? And how do you think we, as a leader, how can we create more equitable systems to make sure that um, diverse talent feel inclusive and reduce some of those baggage? Yeah, that's a great question. I think how I would sum up how I think about systems like hiring that extend to performance management, that extend to things like promotion philosophy and organizations that essentially we're talking about access, 
and access mm-hmm. to opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd like to do is to ensure that the systems that I manage are oriented around the person with the least amount of privilege. And privilege is things like growing up in a middle-class environment where you're sort of getting that unofficial handbook or the answers of that handbook of how things should be, right? Those unspoken things that in the corporate world become increasingly important when it comes to access, when it comes to not only accessing the boardroom, but mm-hmm. being um, being heard in the boardroom. Now, what I don't mean to say is that it's on people from the margins to like figure all that stuff out. It, yep. What I mean to say is that it is on the rest of us who are in positions of influence and decision makers to ensure that we are evaluating how we make decisions about people and their capabilities and their worth. Um, so what that looked like for me is in our hiring system is thinking about the how and why of every single step in the hiring process. How are we choosing people? How are we evaluating people, et cetera, um, and ensuring that we weren't leaving ourselves open to making assumptions about people because assumptions lead us to rely on our bias. Mm, yes. Um, and if the majority of people who are in a hiring process, including the hiring manager, interviewers, et cetera, are all from a homogenous group of similar backgrounds and experiences, then the assumption will be that a good candidate should X, Y, and Z. And what I have found is in my career, not only working professionally in TA, but also being a hiring decision maker in the corporate world in another life, Mm. is that those assumptions can lead us to giving, you know, an extreme benefit of the doubt to those who come from the dominant group and to downplaying the achievements, the ability, um, the aspirations, et cetera, of people who come from outside of the dominant group. Does that make sense? I'm happy to dig in more into what that means. But so when I think of systemic decision-making, I think of things like, you know, cover letters, right? Like, why do we require those? What is the value? What does it mean? Things like resumes, like there's, everybody has an unspoken like or dislike of certain things. And I found that that can be heavily influenced by somebody's own upbringing. And that's not to say that somebody that comes from a privileged background that maybe, you know, comes from a generation of achievers, folks who have, you know, um, gone to college or Ivy League graduates. That's not to say that they right. don't make good hiring managers, but we just have to question why. Like, why are we making this decision? Why are we, why, why are we orienting around this thing? Um, in hiring, in particular, what I found is that I had to, we had to, I had to really shift my organization's thinking about how we open jobs and why, mm. and why jobs are leveled, and then how we evaluate people's skill set based on what we're setting out to achieve. So it's performance or outcomes-based hiring. That in and of itself has led to better results throughout the pipeline because we're being very clear about what we're optimizing for. Most hiring systems are just like somebody comes up with the job description, they found off the internet, but then they right. keep internally all the actual attributes that they want to make sure a candidate has. And they sort of keep that to themselves. And then we end up sort of going towards um, familiarity, comfort bias, right? Um, I've, I've, I remember um, a senior VP at one point telling me that he made all his hiring decisions based on 
who he would sit down and have a beer with. And as somebody who doesn't drink, who's like been in the sober community for years and years, I'm like, okay, well then I wouldn't be hired because I wouldn't be having a beer with you. So what does that actually mean? Right. Is that decision makers want to, they like familiarity because it's then easier for them, right. As the manager. And, and those are great points, but how do you, how do you even guide this VP to think differently? Or, or even sometimes you may get pushed back from these leaders. Oh, for sure. So how do you positively influence them? That's a good question. I think it's in explaining the why. Um, I am in a very privileged position because I already had that alignment, right? When I joined change.org, that was the first thing I heard. We need to diversify our workforce. We need to diversify our workforce. And really the onus was initially put on the recruiting team to go out and find X percentage of candidates from non-dominant groups, which is half of the battle. But then what is happening during mm. so this election? So you put very concrete goals already. Yep. Having concrete goals. So yep. Your leadership was in, but they it was were just in. making changes and how to mm-hmm. make that happen. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, and so bringing decision makers and everybody along the journey of, mm-hmm. okay, this is how we're going to be really intentional about hiring. And this is the result we hope to achieve, I think was really, really helpful. Again, because my organization, the space that we're in, we sort of had that natural buy-in. Um, mm. it, it may have been a little bit easier for me, but the hard part was actually tactically getting into each one of our roles, right? And mm. seeing, reviewing, okay, what are we hiring for? Does that align? Are we actually evaluating that? And then how does that impact the actual pipeline? So let me give you an example. One of the things that when I got into hiring that I started hearing was like, it's well, everybody wants to hire people from different backgrounds, but it's so hard. And I was like, why are we saying that it's mm-hmm. so hard? And then I was hearing things like, well, there are no candidates, right? You're just not going to find people right. of different backgrounds. And that was an assumption that people made that wasn't really rooted in any fact, right? right. It was the arbitrary boundaries that people were putting around access to certain roles that made them feel like, or all, there are no candidates. When I found right. that most people saying that hadn't actually done any research mm-hmm. to indicate that whatsoever. I mean, the data says otherwise. So I'll tell you, like our results were that when we started, when we revamped the way we think about hiring and rebuilt our hiring system, not only did we double representation of people of, of color, including wow. Black and Latinx staff in a year, we also shaved down our time to fill from 120 days to 60 days. Oh, so wow. the other myth that we came up against was that, well, it just takes much longer to mm-hmm. hire with a diversity pipeline. And that's, it's just not true across the board. It can be true for certain niche roles, particularly executive roles, because of systemic issues that have prevented people from outside of the dominant groups from having access right. to opportunities at the higher levels of the organiz- of organization. So that means mm-hmm. that the resumes aren't going to be apples to apples, et cetera. But what we have to get really good at is identifying what are the actual skill sets we need for this particular role? And then how are we evaluating that in an in a equitable manner? So we leverage structured interviews. So the hardest part about getting buy-in is that to do hiring well, regardless of DEI initiatives, to make sure that you're hiring the best possible talent, it takes a lot of work. It's not just scheduling interviews and chit-chatting for an hour. You have right. to outline the questions that you're asking, as well as what you're looking for in a good answer in order to not be tricked by, 
a good interviewer, someone who just speaks the corporate lingo, right? Mm -hmm. We have to really upskill everybody who's interacting with candidates to make sure that they're actually evaluating the things that we need to evaluate. And from that, that led to better results in quality as well as diversity. Wow. That's amazing, tangible advice for everyone here. That's I think at, this is the time too, right? It's the end of the year. It's time for planning. It's time for headcounts, discussions, and budget discussions. And it's great you're able to kind of bust these some of these myths and share the advice and what's working already at change.org since you've been here. Um, Kelly, to, to her point, yeah, uh, I the same from a from a president uh, that a president at an, in, at an, in an in- industry that uh, the candidates just you know we just don't have the talent we we don't have the talent it doesn't exist African American uh, Hispanic we it doesn't exist and I went with that <laughs> for a long time thinking we just aren't mm-hmm. um, aren't there we don't graduate we go to college and we don't graduate in the fields so they don't have a talent pool. So I'd heard that. And I also heard uh, about retaining talent, that it was harder to retain Black talent. And I just really believe that. And that information is, is those articles, they, as they've done the research, that information is getting out there now. It it just is a, is a huge myth. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think there's there's so many opportunities. Like if when we once you attract the talents, like how do you make it an inclusive workplace for them to thrive? Right. right? And I think the the standard has been set. I don't and it was set without minorities and women in, in the room to make it work for them. So I think that's another that's another challenge that we we need to address as well. Um and, and Lindsay, I mean, you are, I think you're, you are the definition of intersectionality <laughs> when you talk about your background. And I, so I just want to take a little step back and talk about your biracial experience. And it's, I think it's really enlightening to have conversations like today, where we talk about race, gender identity, and even our skin color, how it affects how we're perceived or advancement in our career, how people treat us. Um, tell us a little bit about how that's affected the way you work and, you know, your thoughts on um, how we can divert, how we can foster more diverse talent. Yeah, that's a, it's a complex question and a complex answer. I think I'll say, I'll start um, by just stating factually that my experience Mm -hmm. has been of somebody who passes, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that I have, I guess, gotten away with things that some, like if I were my sister's complexion, who's like, you know, she has textured hair, right? She has 4C Mm -hmm. hair, darker skin. Mm -hmm. Like I, the world perceives us differently. And I've seen where she doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, whereas I do. So I just, Mm -hmm. I want to name that, that colorism is very real, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I have the privilege of being very outspoken and pushing back, et cetera, and not just necessarily being dismissed as quote unquote, an angry black woman, because that is, especially in corporate America, especially where, you know, you're having to negotiate for space or negotiate with other stakeholders. It's very easy to dismiss people based on preconceived notions about why they may be acting the way that they are. So I've largely, I've been spared by that. And really what, what it's come down to is it's left me with a feeling of erasure, right? In order to be effective in the work, workplace for years, I had to hide my identity in order wow. to, because it felt like a choice, right? It felt mm-hmm. like, 
well, if I'm out in the workplace, and at the time I worked for an organization that um, had been sued for, um, you know, had lost EEOC complaints. So there was a real problem, right? And the, mm. the leadership team above a certain level was really just essentially like white cishet men all from the same religious group, right? Mm. So I knew that it, for me, it was a choice of like, okay, to get along, I need to sort of hold myself in and, and wow. race parts of who I am. And it led to me, you know, making some choices to not stand up and speak out when I probably should have. And I regret that. And so going forward for me, when I think about places that I want to work in the, in the future, Mm -hmm. there has got to be representation at all levels of the organization, number one. So my experience as a, as a biracial woman who passes has been more of an internal struggle. And that's where really that, that chip comes in. Now I'm lucky to work in an organization now that has representation at right. all levels of the organization. That's something that I'm proud to say I had a direct hand in, right? Yeah. And like diversifying our executive team. Um, at the same time, sometimes I find myself very defensive. Mm-hmm. I really do. That's the honest truth. I find myself defensive on behalf of myself, on behalf of other people, um, interactions that I have that maybe don't go so well. I wonder if it's mm-hmm. due to, you know, something other than my quality of work. Um, and that's just something that, you know, over the years, I'll have to figure out how to how to live with. Um, but that's really been my experience. And I've also seen, you know, direct colleagues of mine who we've had similar levels and skill sets and backgrounds, and they've been treated differently just because of how they show up. Um, so I do, I want to name that. I think it's important. I don't yes. think, I don't think I'm not going to, you know, say like, you know, for those of us who pass or can, you know, can pass as being part of the dominant group that you know, we're bad or anything like that. I just think it's important to acknowledge that. And again, that's influenced me to really think about the decisions I make for my organization, the things that I'm responsible for and make sure like, am I orienting around my own comfort as somebody who I would say I have access to the dominant group experience, or am I really orienting around like what is and what should be? And I think you're touching on a really interesting point, how it seems at work, you can be yourself. You can be a dual identity that you are for so long at this organization is that yeah and I think some of us have certainly felt that way or for me growing up in America as an Asian American there's always a need to need to assimilate so I wouldn't be made fun of if I brought you know Asian Chinese food to school whereas all my friends were eating sandwiches and you know just when I was young I, I started to see these ways I wanted to be the dominant race Um, and not being yourself, whether it's in school or at work, I think it prevents us from actually doing our best work. Um, But I think that's all of us. We, we all are are taught to assimilate um, just, just to assimilate because that's the mainstream. That's where, Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. Um, You and I, I think spoke about that, that, um, we often, I, I know as African-Americans, um, it feels to me that that people, I've always had to get to know uh, mainstream America, but no one has had to get to know me, how I am, where I, what, what my culture represents, other than what you see on the news, because the news is, is not no. who we are. Uh, it is, it is you know, decades of, of stereotypes and right. Um, I don't I don't want to say that the news is misinformation because we know that, that you know, 
that there's it credible is factual journalism yes, too, of course. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, there's there have been too many years of, of built-in stereotypes that I think yes. that everyone carries and they bring into the workplace, and we have to you know fight those every day. So yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely um, good for us to even start having these conversations. And I highly encourage everyone, like our audience, reach out to your friends or, or, or people that are different than you. Learn about their cultures than what you're watching on TV, right? And read. there's so many resources and so many books out there about different cultures that you can immerse yourself in. Um, so that's I think that's one tangible action of showing allyship. And time spent together, time spent. Yep. Do you, do you uh, volunteer at uh, yes. within organizations that uh, to see how minority kids are, you know, other than stereotypes you see on TV? Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, volunteerism is, is a great yes. way to get to know people outside of who you are. Right. And there are so many great local organizations that need help, ex- especially during the pandemic. And there are so many yeah. opportunities to even volunteer virtually. You can do virtual mentoring um, in so many, so many places um, that need the help. Um, And I thank you for sharing and adding to Lindsay's comments, Pam, I guess um, questions for you is what can, what can leaders do more of? I know this isn't a question necessarily for marginalized people. I think leaders have to be invested and have to be taking actions, but I think it's good to get your feedback, right? Um, what could they be doing to create a more inclusive workplace for people of color? Are, are you hopeful that with this change that we're talking about and this movement, this, this moment to being a movement that we can reinvent the workplace for better? And I know you have a daughter, so I'm, <laughs> would be great to you know think what, what, your, what your hopes are for her generation too. Almost definitely. It, it's good to see where we're heading um, you know, of course, the George Floyd um, in 2020 uh, made everybody reevaluate where we are um, yeah. as far as diversity and inclusion, how we are as corporations, businesses, community service groups, who we are as individuals. Um, and of course, being a mom of a nine year old, I want you know her to be able to not have some of the experiences in the same way my parents didn't want me to have the experiences that they had and i think mm-hmm. I, I mentioned to you kelly that uh, i'm from i am third generation college educated so i have a very different uh experience uh as a black female than many other um black people and even not even just black people uh, all people you know i didn't realize that it was that big of a deal to be third generation college educated growing up sort of maybe in my own bubble. uh, I thought, oh, everybody's mom and dad went to college. Everybody's grandparents went to college. We are on our fourth generation, my nieces and nephews. So it's it's uh, a little different, you know, for me, because I don't run into a lot of people who have had that experience. But even with me having a grandfather who was able to go to college in the late 30s, I think graduating in the early 40s, when where things were very different for African-Americans. He, he was a captain in the military and graduated from college. Even having generations of education in my family, yeah. you still experience the same thing as someone who did not, does not have that background. So of course my hopes are for my daughter 
things to be better. I feel like we are, we're at a turning point in the country. And I like what I'm hearing from the organizations, uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Hewlett Packard, and a lot of the different organizations. I just want to make sure that we follow through. Yes. with what we're saying, with our DEI messages and our IND messages that we are following through. Yeah. I feel very fortunate to be on board, like I mentioned, with HPE right now, where I feel like they're at a very transformational stage and uh, trying to put their money where their mouth is and trying to just basically not just talk the talk, but yeah. the be about it. And, um, you know, I think they're doing, we're doing a good job. We have our living progress report with, um, mm you know, methods and ways that we're going to approach DEI, uh, hiring our new uh, chief diversity officer, Aisha Washington, mm-hmm. um, you know, who has a great path, I think, forward for us as an organization. So I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see. I yeah. feel encouraged. And, and, you know, we just have to have the follow through. So it's encouraging to see at this point, though. Yes, 100%. Lindsay, you're nodding there. So I just want to see if you want to build on top of that. <laughs> I mean, I would just plus one what what Pam says. I um, it, it, 2020 was a was an interesting year for a lot of us because it was like this awakening, and and part of me, like I had to stop myself from being annoyed that people were just now getting it, um, mm-hmm. and and like sort of jump on the train of like, okay, company brands are showing support, companies are hiring. CDOs, chief diversity officers. And and now I'm sort of just like the result of that should be that A, we see increased representation throughout, particularly the tech industry, because that's the industry that I'm in, Mm -hmm. right? And um, not, so it's not just about having, you know, more shades of the color wheel show up on boards and in VP or SVP or C-level roles, but it's also about like, what are people in these organizations experiencing. So I think Pam, um, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from you is if, you know, in terms of the commitment that HP has made, um, I'm wondering how we're looking at things like retention and promotion rates, et cetera. These are all things that we've investigated because it's one thing to say we value a diverse workforce. And it's another thing to listen to the experiences of people who are in these organizations and Mm -hmm. see if that's actually Correct. Yep. And I think that um, I think this is a time to sort of listen and and watch and yeah. and see, okay, what's actually happening, particularly in the tech industry, um, the question has come up about revenue and how organizations make revenue. And is that revenue exploiting folks in the margins? Is it um, unfairly impacting people or causing harm? And I'm talking specifically like social platforms, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. Facebook, the question yep. has come up about tech right. and, and the ethics and right. what are yeah. these companies doing? Are they profiting mm-hmm. off of the pain of marginalized people? And my own company went through this reckoning because we made millions of dollars off of the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor petitions, right? Because we have a promoted petitions feature. So the employees came together and they were like, we do not feel comfortable profiting mm-hmm. off of black death. And that mm-hmm. led to our CEO wow. and everybody coming together and saying, you're right. Yep. And what we ended up doing is donate, donating $6 million through the North Star Fund to Black-led organizations and community organizations, including Brianna Taylor's family 
right? To say like, yes, our promotion model may be flawed because of the type of space that we're in where people come to our organization when something is bad. And we have an ethical obligation to make sure that we are not simply profiting off of death and oppression and murder porn, et cetera. So um, that was, that was probably one of the, I was on the, the tiger team or scrum team that worked on figuring out what to do um, for that. And it was quite complex and I'm, I'm happy with the result. Um, so more stories like that, I want to hear, um, of how organizations are thinking about not only hiring and representation, but impact global impact, impact to the causes, et cetera. Um, and what that means for revenue. And I, I think to your point there, Lindsay, um, a, I think technology has some significant potential to be a power for good. I think there are definitely, guardrails, if anything, to ensure that happens. Um, if not, I think it could be could be dangerous, right? Like what we're seeing right now. Um, and I think the other thing you mentioned is employees. I think employees have tremendous power in moving their organization in the right place. And you gave an example how your employees at change.org did that. And every what gives me hope is when I'm on calls with our racial equality and social justice task force, we have all these volunteers across our company giving ideas and how can we make change. And actually before this call, I was talking to all these leaders about the pro- some of the progress we made. And it's just very inspiring um, to the point where we're listening to an employees, you're giving feedback and they're, we're all just kind of pitching in beyond our day jobs. And, and I think employee activism is, is huge and, should push the company into the right place. Um, we're almost over time. I think we'll have to move into the Q and A um, section um, part of the discussion, Vanessa. Um, unless Lindsay and Pam have any other things they like to share, we can talk about this all day. Yes, <laughs> we yes. Just have to we should be talking day. about it every we day. We can talk about it all day. Yeah, yeah it should be a, a, a. It can be a weekly. Forum, but, but we know we have other topics. But <laughs> actually, no. Let's keep going. I, I'm sorry to just be so forceful about it. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. This is important. Um, somebody made a comment to me. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, a little bit earlier that this is, uh, except for one person, this is an all female discussion happening right now. Your attendees, your listeners. Uh, let's let's talk about that for a second. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I want to be inclusive. Uh, you know, we want everybody involved. Uh, what ends up happening, though, is these discussions start in forums like this one, and the people most comfortable being in the forum are the ones who are here. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend for us to help bring others into discussions like this in a way? You know, it's it's going to be uncomfortable. It always is. Everybody's got a, their story of having to tell their story to someone who's already uncomfortable. I have a CES story that I'll tell later. <laughs> Hi, Jocelyn, I see you. Um, but I do want to hear from, from our panelists, Pam and Lindsay and Kelly too. What do you recommend to us? How do we bring more people into this discussion so they can make better choices? Hmm. Anyone, everyone. Want to think about that? <laughs> well, maybe I, I can I can start, and then I'll hand it to Lindsay and Pam. And I think one of the ways, and I think you heard me say this in the context, is that we're not. I think some people feel they're being attacked 
right? When we talk about race, when we talk about identity, I think it's making it as welcoming in terms of we're not pointing fingers, right? Like, again, this is a collective effort. Just because we're trying to make diversity goals doesn't mean the other race doesn't have the other opportunities. Yeah. It's about how what we're doing that haven't been in, that have been inequitable. And we're trying to level the playing field here. Um, I think there's sometimes there is a bit of white fragility, right? Um, so I think if we can address that right off the bat, I, I think it helps. But that's just my two cents, Lindsay and Pam. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not like, uh, I think we've spoken about this, Kelly, that um, nobody's trying to take anything away from anybody to be included. Right. Um, we are, um, and maybe an underserved group, maybe in, in, in the, not just in the tech industry, not just talking about African-Americans, but all, you know, minorities. And um, I, I don't know, it's, it's that uh, the, the, it goes back to what I said earlier. We've had to get to know, I'll just say as an African-American, I feel like I've had to get to know uh, white America, but white America hasn't had to get to know who I am and how I am. Um, and I, I, I don't have answers to how you make someone feel uh, other than driving home the point of no one is trying to take away from yep. you. If you are who you are, you'll, you can be fine, but it's, it's, it's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with getting to know somebody that's, you know, it's, it's like getting them out of that comfort zone. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it, you know, get, get out of your comfort zone. Maybe companies emphasizing, maybe it is through the, the charitable work, um, getting outside of that comfort zone, starting with uh, corporate sponsored events could be a, a method, you know, uh, you can't require it, but you can really, really push it, you know, so that they can on a Saturday uh, work at the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston and, and you know, get to know kids that aren't just the kids in your neighborhood. I mean, that's one method, uh, but it's, it, it seems like it really is, a, you know, you said there we were, there were all females on this call and I'm thinking to myself, oh, it would be nice if there were, you know, other, if other you know, males, white males um, would have attended, you know, to hear what we have to say. Uh, we have some great points and, and you know, we, we have to talk about it. We have to start here with with talking about it. And we don't get anywhere by, you know, going to our corners and, and, and with our own blinders on. It's, it's not how we are going to propel this forward. And this is a good thing for our corporations and for our country. If, if people, you know, understood that, that this is this is great. We can be we're better together. I hate to be, you know, cliche, but yeah, we're we're better together. I know salespeople would understand better together. Um, <laughs> Jocelyn, I know you're trying to get in here. Um, you want to come up, uh, uh, make your mic live. I see you're muted. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Pam and Lindsay, both of you are in organizations that support your work. You have a role in DEI and you have that support. One of the things I noticed in the wake of the, the murder of George Floyd was that a lot of organizations run, rushed to create a DEI position. And maybe they moved somebody, usually a person of color, into a role like that. And I'm wondering if you have advice for people who are trying to get it done and there's there are words that are supportive, but they really need to do work to get that to be the common expectation of the organization. Yeah, I can chime in here. Um, 
I have so many thoughts on like the <laughs> mass rush to go hire. And it was mostly black women, right. To go recruit and hire black women for these <laughs> head of DEI things. And it's like, a we can do more than just like have diversity roles, number one. So I was concerned about that, about creating the role that was really the only place that like women of color could, could go right. And have it, have a quote seat at the table. So what I think needs to happen, what I would advise anybody in that type of role. So I, we had somebody who is the head of DEI um, at our organization and he and I worked hand in hand and we sort of became the flagship people in our organization. So the advice that I would give is to make sure that you're very clear with the CEO on what it is that we're trying to do in very simple terms. Numbers. CEOs understand numbers. Numbers, time frame. We want to do X by X time and then being given, ensuring that you have the freedom to influence how those things happen and then picking one thing that you want to work with other leaders in the organization to figure out how to refine, refine one system. We chose hiring because that was sort of the easiest thing right out in front. And then now we're on to other things that um, influence retention and things like that um, in terms of the DEI sphere. So I think it's about really having a close partnership with the, the chief executive because DEI goals have to come from the CEO in order to have meaning and there needs to be buy-in there, right? Your CEO doesn't need to define the people strategy, but they should be championing it, right? And it's not just about talking about it. It's about making sure resources are allocated appropriately, that this the right decision maker is in place because what you'll find is everybody's like, oh yeah, DEI. But then when it comes time to make decisions, it, it doesn't, that you have to reorient around that, around like, okay, well, why are we doing this? Why are we putting in this parameter? Um, and that'll influence sort of how the organization uh, will perform in that regard. So DEI equals performance. Performance culture, transparent performance cultures lead to more equitable outcomes. So I almost like I've gotten away from um, like saying DEI and really just saying what the thing is, mainly because I think DEI has come, become sort of like a trend to catch all and it's sort of losing its meaning. And I can see like people rolling their eyes and just like, you know, becoming annoyed, like, oh, everything's diversity, everything's diversity. I mean, it's true. Yes. Like that is the the end result, right. Of like how diverse your organization is, is something that everybody's been talking about for years, but I think we have to approach it like solving a business problem, right? So identify what it is that we're trying to achieve and what are the levers we need to pull and what are the resources. I'll also note that um, the chief diversity offer position has the highest rate of turnover out of any C-suite executive role, followed by the CPO. So there's still more work to be done in corporate culture in these in this regard. And I think like, you know, a chief diversity officer um, if you're going to have that person in the organization, then they need to have some alignment and it, the responsibility cannot just be on one person in an organization to make change. That person should be in charge of and given the breadth and scope and resourcing to define that strategy, but it's the rest of the organization that has to buy in. Pam, anything to add there? Oh, I think she said that, uh, um, expressed that very well. Uh, one, the only thing I, you know, <laughs> I guess to Jocelyn's point, um, 
One thing that does concern me, though, is is um, having these messages and um, programs and forms like this. You know, I, it, it kind of reminds me of the. I felt like laws changed in the '60s, so we changed laws, but we didn't change hearts and mindsets. So, you know, it, it's on paper, but is it really sticking? And it, it it concerns me a little bit in corporate America, um, like in a, a form, a panel like this, where we don't see anybody outside of uh, females or minority females, you know, are we putting it on paper and, and not actually, you know, uh, change, are people not receptive to it? And that's something that concerns me, you know, a little bit about where we're going, you know, us moving forward. Um, I see the, like Lindsay said, the turnover with uh, chief diversity officers. And I think CPOs, you mentioned that it has a high, there's a high rate of turnover. Um, So how effective, you know, are those roles? I know that they are, but, you know, are we heading in the right direction? And sometimes it does concern, I think about, you know, I do think about, you know, we didn't change hearts and mindsets. So are we, did the George Floyd um, situation wake us up? Was there that awakening and or did it make people angry? <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's so much I can say about that. Um, but I want to make sure that we are not just putting it on paper. You know, mm-hmm. I do have again, I do have a nine year old and I think about the future and her future like every day. I'm like, boy, this, you know, the world seems so crazy. You know, it seems like, how how is it going to be? And where will she work? And how will the people be? (laughs) You know, you're so concerned. Um, But that's just a thought, you guys. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling and thinking about things, but these are just thoughts. And and I want to make sure that we're going in the right direction and that we're not just talking. Because sometimes you can, it seems like you have marches and forums and do all this stuff. And I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Great, Pam. So if it's, I know you're just getting started in your new role. Yeah. And uh, as somebody who has had the pleasure of working at a company to know that you can do things, you can really make change happen in the hallway. You yeah. can make change happen in any room. You just have to make sure that you're clear on your agenda and you're doing it in ways that people understand. Yes. Like the business talk. We have to speak in a business language. Communications in the large has always had a hard time um, getting respect. I know I'm going to hear the nods, um, right? Why? Because we speak a language that the business people, you know, historically have trouble connecting to. I would argue that you have the same challenge with marketing and other disciplines. That's changing because of who's in the room. So you being in the room, uh, I mean, me being in the room, Jocelyn, Lindsay, Kelly, everyone here, Because we're in the room, we will inherently change it. And as someone who's experienced it myself, I know that what we do matters. I know that the changes, the the decisions we make on behalf of our roles and the relationships that we have with people in positions of power will change things. Probably not faster than we want, Mm -hmm. but you will see it in tangible ways. And that is why we wanted to have this discussion today. Almost everybody on here has a hand in a really important decision, a hiring decision, a company positioning decision. Like it's, we write the words, we are the voices. So I I can't tell you enough 
how important this moment is and you being here in this moment matters. This conversation will travel much, much further than this Zoom. And it's also broadcast on Facebook. So <laughs> there'll be a right, LinkedIn and there. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We are we are coming up on a, time, Kelly. So yes, oh, yes, continue. we are. We have three no, I think that was a very inspirational close, and I think um, your input does matter. And we are here to help fight for the the good fight. <laughs> if I yes. may say, I mean the the main thing I, I wrote this in the chat. Mandates matter. Mandates make a difference. We've seen it with vaccines. We are now seeing it. In other ways, in business, they matter. And when you have a mandate and you have to reach a number, it changes everything. Money moves in the right direction, right? Everybody everybody yeah. knows. You don't have any money behind it, no one cares. So I, I know that there's so much more work to do, but this conversation is an example that there is freedom to speak, that there is, and these are the people that will incent and make real meaningful change. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. I see all the thank yous in the chat. I'm thank so you for having us on. This. Yeah, thank you for having us on. And um, if any questions for any of our panelists today, feel free to connect them on LinkedIn, uh, follow them. Um, and of course, we're excited to, to hear any feedback as well. Thank you so much uh, to our guests. Thank you to our moderator. Uh, Jocelyn Breland, since you are here, tell us about next week's panel because you know we're doing an agency version of this and you know corporations listen to agencies when making right. big decisions. So Jocelyn, tell us what, what we're going to hear about next week. So um, uh, we're going to um, have guests from two different agencies and they have kind of different stories in terms of how their DEI work has been focused and what the impact of that is. Um, uh, but you will see that it not only has an effect within the agency, but then they're also um, uh, affecting the DEI work of clients and in their communities. So it's really fascinating. Join us for another side of, um, of the DEI puzzle. And awesome. thank you all. <laughs> we are back next week, um, more Friday forum, and we'll see you then. Have a wonderful weekend. Have a, great have a happy hour. Thank you all so Bye. much. This was great, thank Kelly. You. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, Lindsay. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.